Hi, I'm Brad Constantine, and this is a Come Follow Me podcast of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Although this is not an official podcast of the church, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. This year's study is the Book of Mormon. Each week, a new summary podcast of that week's Book of Mormon chapters will be released. But if you want a more detailed analysis of each individual chapter, those will also be available to listen to. I hope this Come Follow Me resource will be helpful to you. As always, you can subscribe to this podcast so you'll be notified each week of a new episode. I hope you like this uh, format. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast for the Come Follow Me lessons uh, for 2020. This is going to be lesson number 32, covering the chapters of Alma, chapters 53 to 63, and for the time period August the 10th through the 16th. So there's a lot of things going on here, a lot of wars and battles and things like that. So we're just going to cover some of the highlights. So 53 begins showing that the Lamanite prisoners that the Nephites have kept are helping to build some of the strongholds for the Nephites, uh, particularly around the city of Bountiful. Uh, but because the people of Ammon, the anti-Nephi-Lehi's that were called the people of Ammon, uh, they, they were saying that they probably should go to battle because they're trying to, to defend the Nephites and they feel bad that they that they can't help them, but the Nephites are insisting that those Lamanites uh, that have been converted, who made a promise that they wouldn't fight anymore, that they not. Therefore, um, in this chapter, we begin to see about the sons that these uh, people have in verse 16, that many sons who had not entered into the covenant, they join with the, uh, with the Nephite army. And so they covenant in verse 17 for the liberty of the Nephites. And so this great uh, war, these great group of 2,000 young men are going to... Uh, to uh, join the army of the Nephites, and they're going to go forth to battle and, and defend the Nephites in a great way, uh, with great faith, and we'll we'll see that in here in a little bit. Chapter 54 um, just talks about um, the the Nephite. This is the the letter that um, that uh, goes between Ammon and Moroni to negotiate for the exchange of prisoners, and uh, Moroni is saying that he'll exchange prisoners if uh, the Lamanites will exchange one man and his family for one of the Lamanites. And so um, that's what uh, what's going on here. But the uh, but Amaron says that uh, he's not going to do it that way. He's not going to give in. He's just going to he's going to keep the people and and he's not going to stop the battle. So in chapter 55, then Moroni refuses to exchange prisoners because Amaron won't uh, stop the fight. And so he decides to, to do a little strategy here. He knows that the, that the prisoners are kept in the city of Gid. And so he finds a Lamanite among the people, among, among his Nephite uh, army, whose name happens to be Laman. And he takes a few of the servants uh, with him and goes over to the city of Gid and says that they've escaped and they've taken some wine with them and, uh, and that they were going to um, give it to them, and so they, they, uh, the Lamanite uh, soldiers then take the wine and they drink it in there because they've prepared it in such a way that it causes the guards to to fall asleep. <clears throat> they return back to uh, Moroni, tell him what's happened, and so then the the soldiers, the 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 men of Moroni, then go to the city of Gid, and while the Lamanites are asleep and drunk, uh, he, he gives the prisoners inside the prison the, the weapons of war so that they can defend themselves. And then his men crawl over the walls so that they're ready to uh, fall upon the Lamanites when they wake up. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that Moroni is so kind here, so merciful that he doesn't want to kill them while they're asleep. He just doesn't think that's a good idea. And so he's just so magnanimous here. He's just such a good a good leader, a good general, a good, a good person. Um, and so he, he was able to do that. Uh, in verse 20, it mentions that they armed all the prisoners uh, 
Um, and then in verse 22, um, this was all done at nighttime. So the, when the when the Lamanites awaken, uh, they realize that they've got uh, that the Nephites have complete power over them. Uh, verse 25, uh, he took them prisoners of war and took possession of the city. And so he he uh, spares their lives and uh, just takes possession of the city. And so now they're going to take the, Lam the, the prisoners. They, he wants to take the Lamanite prisoners and send them to Zarahemla. Um, but, uh, and so it takes quite a bit of effort to guard the prisoners. Um, but, they, uh, but they end up uh, doing that. So chapters 56 through 58 then become the letter that Helaman writes to Moroni to explain to him what's happened with his army and that uh, and how valiant uh, these 2,000 stripling warriors that he has uh, fight. And so it mentions uh, as we get down into, um, let's see, verse 10, I did join my 2,000 sons, for they are truly worthy to be called sons, to the army of Antipas. Um, the Lamanites also retained many prisoners, all of whom were chief captains. Uh, these are the cities, and they mentioned uh, uh, the city of Manti, the city of Zeezrom, and the city of Cumani. And I, I noticed for the first time as I'm reading through this again that uh, they have actually named a city after Zeezrom, that attorney that uh, argued with Alma and Amulek a while back. Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, anyway, it mentions some of the cities that, they, that the Lamanites had and uh, that they were determined to conquer. Uh, therefore, the, uh, verse 18, the Lamanites saw that Antipas had received a greater strength to his army, so they were compelled by the orders of Amoron not to come against the city of Judea or to come against the uh, Nephites to battle. Um, uh, then down to verse 21, we were desirous that the Lamanites should come upon us, for we were not desirous to make an attack upon them and their stronghold. So they're going to try to lure them out of the city where they're in their stronghold so that they could uh, have be on equal ground with them. Um, so down in verse uh, 22, we kept uh, we kept spies round about to watch the movements of the Lamanites that they might not pass us by night or by day. Um, verse 24, they durst not pass by us with their whole army, neither durst they with their part. Therefore, they would not sufficiently they would not be sufficiently strong, and they should fall. Neither durst they march toward against down against the city of Nephi, against the city of Zarahemla. And thus, uh, with their forces, they were determined to maintain those cities which they had taken. Uh, and that came to pass in the second month, there was brought unto us many provisions from the fathers of those two thousand, and there were uh, and they were also sent two thousand men unto us from the land of Zarahemla. So now the army of Helaman is getting a lot more uh, support here. And then in verse 30, when we saw the Lamanites began to grow uneasy, we were desirous to bring a stratagem into effect upon them. Therefore, Antipas ordered that I should march forth with my little sons to a neighboring city, as if we were carrying provisions to a neighboring city. And so now they're going to head off. They're going to, the 2000 are going to go off uh, and leave uh, Antipas a little bit vulnerable here. They're going to go down to the city of Antipara. Um, and it came to pass that uh, they came forth with their army and, and uh, the people of the Lamanites then uh, were stationed and they, they then come against them. Uh, and so it says in verse 36, it came to pass that we did flee before them northward and thus we did lead away the most powerful army of the Lamanites. So the most powerful army is chasing Helaman in the 2000. Um, verse 38, Antipas, beholding our danger, did speed 
the march of his army. So now you've got three groups of people. You've got the 2,000. You've got the, the largest or the most powerful army of the Lamanites running after the 2,000 stripling warriors. And then the people of Antipas are then chasing after the, the powerful army of the Lamanites. Uh, verse 39, uh, they had taken the, they'd gone to bed that night and in the morning uh, they find that they're being chased again. So up and up they go. And, and uh, they, so these three, three groups are still running. Uh, verse 40, they didn't neither turn to the right nor to the left, uh, lest they be surrounded. So here's a good analogy of uh, staying on the straight and narrow path, right? Again, uh, the next day, they're still uh, running uh, like crazy to stay away from each other. Uh, verse 42, uh, they did pursue us far before they halted. And it was in the morning on the third day of the seventh month. So in this, uh, on the third day, the people of Antipas have caught up to the Lamanites and they started fighting against the Lamanites, which caused the Lamanite army to completely turn and fight against Antipas, uh, which then left the, the 2,000 stripling warriors uh, to be free, to not have to fight. But then Helaman says, um, what do you want to do? Do you want to fight against fight and help Antipas or what? And so they said, um, it mentions in verse 47, now they had never fought, yet they did not fear death, and they did think more upon the liberty of their fathers than they did upon their lives. Yea, they had been taught by their mothers that if they did not doubt, God would deliver them. And they rehearsed unto me the words of their mothers, saying, we do not doubt our mothers knew it. So here we have the, these uh, wonderful 2,000 soldiers young men that uh, are now going to go ahead and fight against uh, the Lamanite army. Remember, this is the most powerful Lamanite army. And uh, But what's happened is that because of Antipas's uh, weariness and, and the, because they've been running so much that the Lamanites, when they turned against them, killed Antipas and several of the leaders, uh, which meant that the army just kind of was leaderless. They didn't know what to do next. And so when the stripling warriors then come against them, the Lamanite army now turns against them and now the Lamanites are fighting against them. And then in verse 53, it says, Now when the people of Antipas saw that the Lamanites had turned them about, they gathered together their men and came again upon the rear of the Lamanites. So now the Lamanites are getting it on both sides. They're surrounded, it mentions in verse 54, um, that the 2,000 on one end and Antipas is met on the other. And uh, then it mentions in verse 54 at the end there that they were compelled to deliver up their weapons of war and also themselves as prisoners of war. So this of the most powerful Lamanite army that they had, uh, these 2,000 sons, 2,000 stripling warriors and the army of Antipas now have taken them captive, taken them prisoners of war. And so um, the great miraculous power that they had here. Verse 56, Helaman mentions that uh, not one soul of them had fallen to the earth they'd fought with the strength of God. And that was the, because of their faith, their great faith in, in, uh, in, in knowing that uh, they would be protected and that not one of them had died, not one of them uh, had been killed, although some of them had been wounded, but not any of them had died. Then as we go to chapter 57, still the same uh, letter that Helaman is writing to Moroni, um, he mentions that uh, the people of Antipara did leave the city and fled to other cities. Uh, which they had possession of, uh, and thus the city of Antipara fell into our hands. So the Lamanites have left the city of Antipara and uh, and left it uh, to the, to the, back to the Nephites. And then there's some other battles going on here. We get in, down to verse 20, and it says, The remainder of our army were about to give way before the Lamanites. Behold, these 2,060 were firm and undaunted. 
Yea, they did obey and observe to perform every word of command with exactness. And so that's the challenge that we have is to be exactly obedient to the commandments of God. It mentions at the end of 21 uh, that this was done according to their faith and did remember the words which they said that their mothers had taught them. And so the great influence that our mothers have. Uh, verse um, 25, it came to pass that there were 200 out of my 2,060 who had fainted because of the loss of blood. But uh, nevertheless, according to the goodness of God, not one of them had died, although not one of them didn't, had not received many wounds. We know that immortality, we're going to be wounded in this life and that there's not much we can do about that. That's just the condition of our mortality. Uh, we just have to realize and have faith in our Heavenly Father that he knows best for us. That in spite of the, the things that go on, that we are going to we, we are going to be wounded. Uh, that's our that's our lot in life. Okay, verse 26. It mentions how astonished they were at the preservation of these 2,060, um, and that they were uh, valiant for for service and in their faith. Then in chapter 58, it mentions that Helaman has sent a letter to Pehoran, or the leader of the of the country, to get assistance, and he hasn't received anything. Uh, but so the, the battle with the Lamanites just continues. Then in verse 10, we say we mention here that it says um, that they now pray fervently. It says we did pour out our souls in prayer to God that he would strengthen us and deliver us out of the hands of our enemies. Also to give us strength that we might retain our cities and our lands. And it came to pass that the Lord our God did visit us with assurances that he would deliver us. Yet yeah, in so much that he did speak peace to our souls. And so we we do all the we do the best we can in in uh, living through this life. And we but we also pray as fervently as we can for for the Lord's help. And then those things come as we do the best we can. So the battle continues. They're doing some strategies here against the Lamanites. And uh, verse thirty seven, as they are fighting amongst the Lamanites, he says, "We trust God will deliver us, notwithstanding the weakness of our armies, yea, and deliver us out of the hands of our enemies." And then in verse um, 39, he says, uh, those sons of the people of Ammon, of whom I have so highly spoken, are with me in the city of Manti, and the Lord has supported them. But behold, they have received many wounds. Nevertheless, they stand fast in that liberty wherewith God has made them free, and they are strict to remember the Lord their God from day to day. They do observe to keep his statutes and his judgments and his commandments continually. Um, boy, wouldn't that be great if we could say that of ourselves. Now in chapter 59, um, Moroni asks Pehoran for strength to uh, to strengthen the forces of uh, of Helaman. He asks for some assistance, both food and uh, soldiers, uh, to help Helaman with his army with the with the two thousand. And uh, but the Lamanites take the city of Nephiha in the process, and uh, so Moroni is upset with the government, thinking that they're just not providing enough assistance. And so then in chapter sixty, uh, Moroni complains to Pehoran. And uh, writes to the governor and says, uh, you know, he's upset with them. How can you do? How can you let all these things go about us when you guys were in your comfortable homes and comfortable towers? That uh, in the government you're you're not helping out. So he's really complaining here that they they're not assisting whatsoever. Um, and and Moroni goes on and on about this. He says, the Lord suffers the righteous to be slain that his justice and judgment may come upon the wicked. He's basically calling Pehoran wicked here. Um, and so he's just saying, you know, how can you sit in your in your places here and not help us? 
And then he says in verse 23, God has said that the inward vessel shall be cleansed first, and then shall the outer vessel be cleansed too. So he's saying that the inner government's going to have to be cleansed, and, cleansed, and Moroni thinks he's the, the guy to do it. Now in chapter 61, Pehoran writes back to Moroni, not upset that he's been accused wrongly of doing anything wrong. In fact, the, the kingmen who've uh, raised an insurrection in the city of Zarahemla have actually kicked Pehoran out of the city, and he's had to flee to the city of Gideon to get away. But uh, in Pehoran's um, letter, he writes back that he's not angry. Uh, he says in verse 9, In your epistle you have censured me, but it matters not. I am not angry, but to rejoice in the greatness of your heart. This is showing the greatness of Pehoran as well, that uh, even though we might make mistakes, we might uh, be, be offended or be the, the person that's giving offense. Hopefully we're not that, but uh, even if somebody wrongly accuses us of, of something, that we, we shouldn't respond negatively to that, uh, but realize that they may not have all the answers or have all the information and, and may not know what they're saying. And to give them the benefit of the doubt, like Pehoran is doing here. He knows that uh, Moroni probably doesn't know what's happening in the in the in the, in, the, in Zarahemla, and that uh, he needs to to provide that help. So Pehoran is then asking Moroni, um, he, he says in verse 14, let us resist evil and whatsoever evil we cannot resist with our words, let us, uh, such as rebellions and dissensions, let us resist them with our swords. So he's actually going to ask Moroni if he'll come down to uh, Zarahemla uh, and take uh, take over for the people there and take, take uh and get rid of these kingmen so that they can uh, be free again. So in 62, Moroni marches to the aid of Pehoran, and as he's going, he's using the standard of liberty again in verse 4 to gather people. And so as they're, as they're marching towards Zarahemla uh, and towards the land of Gideon, um, he's, he's getting other people to kind of flock to his standard, and he ends up with thousands of people that are coming to his aid. And then it mentions in verse 9 uh, that the men of Pachas, or verse 80 says, Behold, Pacchus was slain, and his men were taken prisoners, and Pehoran was restored to his judgment seat. And so Pacchus is the guy here that uh, was raising this problem, and he's executed. And so, and, the, and these kingmen who had also been put into prison, they were executed according to the law. And so they end up killing several thousand probably of people here that are fighting against uh, the country, against freedom. Uh, wanting to have a king again in the land. And uh, and so that's what Moroni does, and he takes care of them. So then he's able to get some more men and, and head back to uh, help um, Tiankum and help Lehi and help uh, Helaman uh, in the cities that they're trying to, to keep, to continue to guard. And so um, that's that's what he's doing. Down in verse 35, uh, they, they also, this is a problem here that I want to just point out here about what happens with Tiankum. Now remember that Amaron, who's the brother of Amalekiah, uh, who's really the kind of the one that's instigating all of this, uh, that the Lamanites and the Nephites have camped for the night, uh, which always amazes me that they're doing that. But anyway, uh, the Nephites and the Lamanites are weary because of the greatness of their march, down in verse 35. Um, but it says uh, Teancum was angry with Amaron, uh, and and he in verse. Um, 36, then Teancum goes forth into the camp of the Lamanites and did let himself down over the walls of the city. And he went forth with a cord from place to place insomuch that he did find the king and he did cast a javelin at him that he did pierce him near the heart. But behold, the king did awaken his servants before he died insomuch that they did pursue Teancum and slew him. And the, the thing that bothers me the most about this is that Teancum, we know he's done this once or twice where he's killed the leader in this fashion. But this time it mentions uh, that he went forth in anger. 
And I, some, I think sometimes that we, we may not be thinking straight when we're in, in a state of anger. And so I think Tiankum here uh, acts out in anger this way, and that might have, I think, been the reason for his, his death. Um, and so he wasn't thinking properly, probably. At least that's my opinion. I don't know. Anyway, um, Moroni's upset because of that, obviously. He's, he's angry. He's, he's sorrowful because of the death of Tiankum, who was one of his faithful leaders. Uh, but this also results in the uh, in the in the stopping of the war because the Lamanites now are going to are going to give up, um, and so some of these people are actually going to go off and be part of uh, the city of Ammon or the people of Ammon, and so those that, that decide to just quit and and go they're going to give up their weapons of war to to Moroni. The rest of them are going to go off and be. Uh, be subject to, to the Nephites, they're going to end up being with the people of Ammon. And Pehoran is restored back to his uh, own place. Now in chapter 63, uh, we have some interesting things happening here. Uh, Shiblon, who took possession of the sacred records from his father Helaman, um, who, who received them from Alma, um, is going to give them to uh, Helaman's son. Um, Helaman takes possession of the sacred records and so uh, he mentions uh, in verse 1 that uh, Shiblon took possession of those of those sacred things which had been delivered unto Helaman by Alma. Uh, he was a just man. Uh, but then it mentions in verse 3 that he, that Moroni passes away. He dies. And uh, that now there um, there's a group of people, however, a large company, it says in verse 4, even to 5,400 men. So we can imagine with their wives and their children that this could be 10, 15, maybe 20,000 people that are going to go off. They're going to head off uh, into the north country. And also in verse 5, it comes to pass that, that Hagoth uh, is going to build a large ship and take a bunch of people, and they're going to head north, but that, but they're going to be in boats where it sounds like this other group, the larger group, is going to be on land, and that Hagoth's people are going to go uh, in a boat, it looks like, to the land northward. I don't know if they're heading to the same direction or same place that the first group is going to. Um, but it mentions that uh, in verse 6, there were many of the Nephites that did enter into the ship and uh, with their wives and children and took their course northward. Uh, we think that maybe they went northward, but maybe then other directions. Uh, and in verse 7, they had other ships that were built. And the first ship returned and took even more people and provisions uh, northward. And uh, but where they went, they don't know for sure. Um, uh, but some of the brethren have mentioned that the, the, these are the, the Polynesians, that these are the people of the of Hagoth or those in the Polynesian countries. In verse eight, uh, there's a quote here by um, Millet McConkie that says this is one of the subtle testimonies of the truthfulness of this record. Had Joseph simply been creating the Book of Mormon, fabricating it rather than um, than than translating it, he would not have included this particular uh, couple of verses here. Living almost five centuries after their departure from the Promised Land, Mormon could have inquired as to their whereabouts, but presumably had not done so. Or if he had, uh, he had not learned it by revelation what became of those people. And then uh, Robert L. Simpson mentions that uh, Joseph F. Smith had mentioned that the people of, of, of Tonga, of Polynesia countries, were the descendants of the people of Hagoth, and that they were Nephites. And so uh, President Kimball also in a talk in the South Pacific had mentioned that those people from Hawaii and from the South Pacific were also descended from the Nephites and from the from Hagoth. And so uh, 
it's interesting to, to see that record and to see uh, where those people come from. So then toward the end of the chapter here, we find out what happens to the records that um, Shiblon dies. Corianton had gone northward in one of the ships that had gone uh, gone forth. And uh, that before Shiblon died, he, he, re he gave the uh, records to Helaman, who was the son of Helaman. Uh, after the name of his father, therefore those engravings which were in possession of Helaman were written and sent forth among the children of men throughout all the land, save it were those parts which had been commanded by Alma should not go forth. So it looks like the, the record also goes to other people uh, that they made copies. They must have made copies so that others could have them as well, except that they didn't read the, the parts from the Jaredites that they weren't supposed to read. Anyway, this is translated material as we've talked about before. The Book of Mormon is true and that as we study the Book of Mormon this year in our Come follow me lessons, um, that this will greatly strengthen our faith and our testimonies of the gospel. I know that Joseph Smith is a true prophet, that he translated the, the Book of Mormon by the gift and power of God. And I know this by the, by the Spirit of the Holy Ghost, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. See you next week. Bye.